I was moved last week. Um, you know, we had this altar ministry time where really it was just, if this is touching you in any way, come forward. And the Lord began to move and people were crying out. Prayer was taking place. God was moving in power, just kind of like what we had there during worship. But it was, it was, there was a, it was profound what was happening. It was hard to put language on it because it seemed like God was doing things all over the place, all sorts of different things. And, um, and I know I just, I just went and sat in my seat, put my head down. And when I, uh, checked what time it was, it, 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 it was 1.30. I'd been here for another hour and a half. And I looked up, there was, and I just did a quick head count. There was still 50 people in the altar at 1.30. And I just thought, man, something is stirring. Something is moving. The Lord is moving on the hearts of his people. And that's, to me, really, that's when, that's the sound of revival. When, when the church receives fresh life, when the winds of refreshing are blowing on the church, that's revival. When, uh, I love Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It's one of my favorite verses. He says, uh, repent, be converted, and times of refreshing will come from the Spirit of the Lord. And then he says, that he may send Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. There's so much in there, but this idea that the church has these appointed times, that word times, it it's, comes from a Greek word, kairos. How many ever heard of kairos, the kairos moment? It means the appointed time, the appointed times. I love that it's plural because I just think of it this way, like God has a calendar. He's moving all things in a certain direction. He's leading things according to the counsel of his will. He has a calendar, and there's these times in his calendar that he set apart, that he set aside, and it's like when you begin to come up to these kairos moments, these times that the Lord has picked out, it's already in his calendar, he's like, now is the time, and it's a time of refreshing. I love, I love times of refreshing because serving the Lord, you know, you can grow to a certain level in your heart and with your relationship with God and you pour out and you experience difficulties and challenges. I'm convinced that Christianity is the only uh, religion, and I don't think of it as a religion, I think of it as a relationship, but it's the only religion that has uh, adversity, because we're the only one that has an adversary. Think about it. And you go through these seasons of adversity, fighting, taking ground, positioning your heart, and sometimes our hearts get hardened because of the challenges and the deceitfulness of sin and the difficulty of life in this age. How many of you know we need times of refreshing? We need those appointed times from the Lord to remind us what's important again, 
to remind us how we're to live again. That word, refreshing, I love that word. That it's, a, it's a Greek word. I'm, I know two Greek words. I'm telling them both to you this morning. Anapsuxis. Anapsuxis. I'm probably saying it really wrong. It means recovery of breath. I need a recovery of breath. Some of us have gone through intense seasons of challenge and difficulty. You've taken hits. You've taken hits and you've made bad decisions. You've done both. Praise God. It happens. Let's be honest. Let's not get that holier than thou. Oh, it's all them. It's never been me. I'm so perfect. No, no. Usually we take hits. We get hurt. That's, and that's real. And then we come up with conclusions and protective strategies. And we sin and oftentimes in our conclusions and our protective strategies. And sometimes those are worse than the hits we took. Now, don't get quiet because I'm preaching really good. Right? That's, re- that's really important. <laughs> he can heal where we've been hit, but it's up to us to break up the fallow ground where we've allowed our conclusions and our protective strategies to keep others out and to keep God at a distance. That's why we need anapsuxis, a recovery of breath. We need the wind of the Spirit to blow again. We need the breath of God to fill us again. We need a resetting in what's important again. We need the Lord to bring us back to his heart. That's revival. That's revival. When the church, I'd like to say it this way, when the church gets right with God, that's revival. But then there's this whole other dimension. Awakening. See, revival is when the church gets right, but awakening is when the world gets saved. And when you see awakening, then you see the most amazing and dramatic things happening. In revival, we get our breath back, but in awakening, that which was dead comes to life. That which was lost gets found. The one that was the furthest one away, all of a sudden, they're the one weeping in the altar. I believe, I hear the sound of revival, but I hear the whisper of awakening. I I feel it's in the air. How many sense that? The stirring that's happening right now in, I mean, I just, I'm just so moved by what we're seeing, and I talked about it last week in these college campuses, and Asbury, and Lee, and Samford, and all these different places, and churches, and there's a, there's a magnet on the heart of the people of God right now, but he's not just blowing the wind for a moment for a tingle or an extra tear. He wants America. 
He wants the nation. He wants every sphere of society. Pol- political sphere, the education sphere, the economic sphere, the entertainment sphere. He wants all the spheres of society to reflect his glory, to know his beauty. Every culture, every age group, every denomination. How many of you know he hasn't counted out the denominations? He wants the Methodists and the Baptists and the Lutherans and the Episcopalians. He wants the Catholics. He wants the Church of God and the Church of God in Christ. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Assemblies, holiness, all of them. Because Jesus Christ is repossessing his church. He's becoming the central figure in his church once again. And we're in a moment of recovery of breath. And that's what I talked about last week. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. Just because you know it's time for the rain to fall, you don't sit back and say, oh, I know the rain's supposed to fall. I think it's going to happen. No, that's when we get aggressive. That's when we ask. That's when we lean in. That's when we press in. We're about to do a three-day fast. I want to call everybody into the three-day fast. Let's all do it. I mean, you don't have to just go on water. You could fast a meal, or you could do a Daniel. No sweets and no meats. I always cheated my Daniels with honey butter bread. There's a good (laughs) Daniel fast cheat, just for your side note. But (laughs) is it a sweet? Honey? Muffin is a good thing. A butter muffin, glory to God. Anyway, (laughs) I'm already in fasting mode when I start dreaming about food. That's not the point here, people. The point is, why not? We want to ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. This is how we do it. We put ourselves in a place of voluntary weakness. This is not us muscling ourselves up in the flesh and working something out to try to make something happen. This is us putting our hearts before God, our cold hearts before the furnace of his love and saying, we are here for you and we want you and we're putting a draw on heaven and we're asking him to come. And so we push away from the table and we push into the prayer room. And we take the things that we've made more important than God, and we make God more important than them. And when that's happening, beloved, that's when the sound of revival is filling our hearts. And that's when we're responding to him, like what we talked about this morning. Everything I'm saying is not in your notes this morning. (laughs) I'm completely not (laughs) on the target of where we were going, but... I just want to continue to fan into flame that thing that's beginning to burn in us. Um, Last Sunday after I got up out of the altar, I came home and I, I, I never was quite right. I was sitting on the couch trying to just gather myself and rest a little bit, took a little nap. And I remembered my wife said, hey, 
I want to go see that Jesus Revolution movie. How many, I don't want to be the spoiler, how many have not seen the movie? Let me just raise your hand. Okay, I won't mess you up. But I, I, we decided to go, and we went and watched Jesus Revolution. I highly recommend you go see it. It is a, a movie based on a true life story, the 1970s Jesus movement revival, which was predominantly white hippies. Let me just say that first. I watched it. I said, where are the black people? Come on. Just be honest. But it was white hippies. But the move of the spirit that hit the young people at that time, starting in California, I was, I was sitting in the, in the movie theater undone by what God was doing. And my heart was breaking. And they, they explain in the movie the journey the church had to go through from being unwilling to allow young people that didn't look normal and didn't act normal to come and sit in their pews and come and dirty up their carpet. And, uh, man, that movie, it, it, it broke me. I wasn't right after Sunday morning, but going and watching that movie, I wasn't right. I, I mean, I started crying uncontrollably sitting in there. I was doing my best not to scream, like cry out, in the movie theater. It probably wouldn't have mattered. There wasn't a lot of people. There's like, you know, 12 people in there, but I would have been the one like, dang, what's wrong with him? <laughs> and I was crying throughout, and I was really moved, and God was breaking my heart. For Gen Z, and just in our next few moments, I just want to share about that for a second. Gen Z would be the group that's 25 to 12. You fit the bill? All right. I haven't done a ton of sociological study on Gen Z. I just know a few things. I know this, that my kids are all in Gen Z. And uh, a little of my journey is this, that I, my, my, I'm, by the grace of God, I'm able to stand here and tell you all my kids are serving Jesus. And I'm really, really grateful for that. They're not perfect. Don't do that church thing to them. I just bless you. <laughs> They're not perfect. But they love God. And... Um, well, I'll just tell you this. I, I, we, had a, we had a birthday party for one of them, and, and, and so I had a whole living room full of young adults, a bunch of Gen Zers. And they were playing a game on the screen. It's like a fill-in-the-blank game. Remember like Mad Libs? This is kind of like Mad Libs. And I'm watching this game, and they're, they get to vote on who makes the best sentence. And I'm watching it, and the room is blowing up laughing, erupting laughter, but none of the sentences make sense. <laughs> like, it literally nothing makes sense. And I watched it for a straight hour. 
Well, nothing made sense. I didn't laugh at any of the jokes. They all knew the jokes. I didn't know one joke. I didn't have a clue what was happening. And I had, my niece was sitting next to me, and, and, I, and, and Aisha, who were both Gen Zers, I, and I was like, what's happening? I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> and I'm like trying to, like, I'm like, I mean, I'm like, hey, uh-huh, Shrek, cool, huh? Like, I don't get it at all. And I realized there's an entire subculture and a language and an attitude and a thought process that I'm completely, I'm completely distant from. And all of a sudden, it hit me, I'm the old guy that doesn't understand the young guys anymore. And then, all of a sudden, what they were doing, it made sense to me. And I said, I want to play the game. And I had four chances to do fill in the blanks. The first one, I got no votes. <laughs> they said, you spelled all the words right, and it made too much sense. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? And I said, all right, I'm going to misspell a few words, and this next one ain't going to make any sense. I did it. I got first place on the next one. And I did it again, and I got first place on the next one. And they're like, that was you. I was like, that was me. And on the third one, I put in absolute nonsense. There were no words. It was just misspellings. I couldn't think of an answer, so I just misspelled everything on purpose, and it didn't make any sense. I got fourth place on that one, which ended me up second place in the game. I don't know how I got fourth place out of eight with a completely gibberish answer, but Gen Z. <laughs> and I realized that it's not okay to have an entire generation of young people walking around with their own language, their own challenges, their own difficulties. And my main attitude towards them is they don't make sense. Their problems are horrifying. And what's wrong with them? That cannot be my attitude. That cannot be our attitude. And uh, there's a prophecy in Malachi Chapter 4, now this is in the notes if you grab them, but it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children's hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I believe this prophecy it's going to be fulfilled together with the Acts 2, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh prophecy. It's, it's one and the same. And I believe that this spirit of Elijah, it's coming on an entire generation. And I know that we love this verse and we put it over the children's ministry. But it's more than that. It's about older mothers and fathers getting their hearts broken for what they see happening in a young generation 
and turning in your heart toward them. Figuring out how to love, how to pray, how to support, how to befriend. You don't have to talk like them or look like them to love them. And here's what I think has happened in church. It's like we've gotten, it's like we've gotten possessed with the older brother syndrome. We grow up in the church. We've been in the house. We've gotten very familiar with father, gotten very familiar with everything. And then when younger brother gets brought in and he's covered in pig slop, we go, oh, dear God, he's dirty. He's been out there doing all the bad things. I've been in here doing all the good things. How come you're so interested in him, Father? What about me? What about me? And it's so easy for us that are older to turn around and look at the younger and think, what about my time with God? What about what I've done? What about me taking the stage instead of having the heart of the Father that runs to the young? Listen. We are about, I I shared all that about revival to tell you that we are about to see a massive move of the Spirit. And it's not going to be primarily 40 and 50-year-olds. 40 and 50-year-olds are going to get rocked. Yes, it's for you. Yes, you're going to get touched. Yes, 70 and 80-year-olds, it's for you. You're going to get touched. There's a move of the Spirit. It's, the Holy Spirit, is no, he, he, he's no respecter of age groups. But it, I don't have to be a prophet to tell you that most people get saved before the age of 25. Watch this. If you got saved before the age of 25, stand to your feet. I'm standing. You can sit down. I'd say that was three quarters of the room. Is that fair? Friends, do you understand when we say revival, three quarters of the people that are going to come in are going to be 25 years old and under. And if you hear that as, what about me? Because you're older, you're out of that age range, you're missing what God's doing. And what he wants to do is he wants to break your heart for a young generation, mom and dad. He wants to break your heart for a young generation, grandma, grandpa. Because you know what? You don't have to have all these massive words of you know, wisdom to give them. Yes, they want that. But really what they want is a smile and a hug. Like for real. <laughs> and it's what we want. It's what the older generation wants too. And, and, and so I'm just, I'm trying to get us to see that there's an invitation from the Lord into stepping into the spirit of Elijah where we love a young generation 
right out of their sin, right out of their hang-ups, right out of all their bondages. And I don't know if you've thought a lot about Gen Z lately, but it's rough, guys. We have the most gender confused generation that's ever lived on the planet. We've seen gay marriage normalized in the last 20 years which now has opened a Pandora's box as it relates to homosexual identity and has been embraced at the, at the legal levels, court levels. And so now that this thing has gotten mainstream, we've got parents who are affirming eight-year-olds in transition medication. And that's normal because that's what Gen Z has grown up with. You and I remember a day when that was not even, no way that was mainstream. But this is where it's at today. And gender issues, identity issues, sexuality issues, this is the tip of the iceberg. It's not just localized there. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Some of you won't. But when I heard about this, it really, it really bothered me. There's something called furries. This isn't a side thing. I didn't get this on a sensational website, you know, some weird thing. This is real. Furries are people. They're all, it's all young people. I'm sure there's some older. It's mostly young people. And they identify now as an animal. And they dress up as an animal. And they literally don't use a human toilet. Because they've embraced an identity that's not human. And what they're doing is they're opting out of the human experience. Because nihilism has so choked the life out of Gen Z. And that's somebody's, that's somebody's son and that's somebody's daughter. And it can't be that the older generation sits here with a bad attitude going, I knew it. They're seeing how messed up they are. That is not the word of the Lord. That is not heaven's testimony about a younger generation. And so we've got young people that don't know who they are. They're fatherless, they're motherless, their identity is messed up, their sexuality is messed up, but there's an entirely, uh, uh, there's a, such a whole nother thing going on in the drug culture right now. The opioid crisis has exploded, but I just, even this morning, reading our local news, this morning, I'm reading of a fentanyl death this morning. 17-year-old girl in Gwinnett County. She thought she was buying a Percocet, a painkiller. It was a fake pill laced with fentanyl. 
and one pill and she's dead. It's not drug overdose anymore, people. It's homicide. And it's because they want to get numb. They want to check out of reality. They want to check out of life. They want to check out of humanity. And I'll tell you, when darkness covers the earth and deep darkness, the people, the promise of the Lord is that the Lord will rise over you. His light will be seen on you. The glory of the Lord shall rise upon you. And the abundance of the sea of the nations shall be converted unto you. It's not the church's job that when we see things dark, we run and hide. It's the church's calling that when it's dark, we run in with the light. That when we see somebody who's covered in darkness, we go, come here, buddy. Because what we have is greater than the darkness that's oppressing them. The light of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us is greater than anything the enemy can do to them. The power of the blood of Jesus is still more powerful than an opioid addiction, than a gender identity issue, than homosexuality, or whatever the sin hang-up is. It's more powerful than trauma. It's more powerful than depression. It's more powerful than anxiety attacks and night terror. The blood of Jesus is still able to set people free to the uttermost. It has to be. And so when we're talking about revival, I want us to be like moved and stirred, but I want our hearts to be shattered. Because there isn't a tidy revival coming. It's going to be messy. It's going to be unusual. I'm not threatening you. I'm prophesying. It's going to be different than any of us are expecting, even me. But there's an entire generation that is done. They're done with even the human experience. And the Lord loves them. And the Lord is going to deliver them. When you read the Acts 2 prophecy, it says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the first phrase, what is it? Your, say it loud. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. It's coming. Really, I really want you to go see that movie. It, it will break your heart. It will break any kind of hardness in your heart toward the young generation. But I want to I pray for us this morning that we would be a people that as we're leaning in, we're crying out for revival, that we would be so delivered of the older brother syndrome, that we would, be, we would have the heart of the father, and that we would run to a generation and throw our arms around them and love them right out of their sin. Am I making sense this morning? Amen. Let's stand.